The scripture reading for this morning is from Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Hear the word of our Lord. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Good morning, Oak Ridge. For a lot of you, this will be the second hour <laughs> you get with me today. But uh, it's a pleasure to be bringing God's word to you this morning. I like to usually start with a, a primary goal or goals that I have for the sermon. Um, the goal of the sermon is going to be to lift up uh, the Trinitarian glory that is at the core of our faith in Christ and our call to discipleship. But the subordinate goals of the sermon will be to help unpack from various passages uh, how disciples are made, where discipleship happens, and what disciples of Christ look like. Uh, for those that don't know, there might just be a few or none, um, I'm a candidate here at Oak Ridge to be the discipleship pastor, so it seemed wise uh, to the elders at Oak Ridge for me to articulate uh, from God's word what uh, I believe discipleship to be and how my understanding of discipleship would work itself out in ministry at Oak Ridge. Uh, would you pray with me as we, uh, before we dig in? Father, thank you for the time that we've had together already this morning and over the weeks uh, to, to get to know each other. Um, thank you for this congregation, as I, I can tell and feel that they care about truth um, and uh, they care about your word. It's a joy to be singing with them as well this morning, uh, songs that are quite related to our message as well, just bringing that together in spirit as we, we've sung about these truths that we're going to hear from in your word this morning. Uh, be with me as I unpack your word from various texts. Uh, may it be honoring and glorifying to you. I don't want to misuse your word because your word is our standard for truth. And uh, we need to be careful with it as we pass it along. So be with all of us. Be with our hearts and minds and, and ears this morning uh, that we would hear the call uh, to discipleship but that we would um, greater understand our salvation uh, that is wrapped up in the Father, Son, and Spirit. Bless our time now, in Jesus' name, amen. So the, the title of the sermon uh, is, is Making Disciples. I think pick that up from the passage that Eric read for us. Um, the sermon's gonna have two large sections. Uh, the first section, I hope we'll be drawing your attention to Jesus' uh, command to his disciples in Matthew 28 to make disciples. And the, section, the second section, uh, we'll be drawing out from several passages in Ephesians the purpose of discipleship, where discipleship happens, and then what disciples look like. As we just heard, reading of Matthew 28, uh, verses 18 through 20, Jesus commissioned his disciples to make disciples. 
Do you know, if you are a Christian, your, your primary call is to make disciples. When you wake up each morning, is this the first thing you're thinking about? Who can I disciple today? Maybe you haven't thought, or maybe you've thought, isn't discipleship making something um, that pastors are called to do? Or maybe you've thought uh, making disciples is for those that are gifted in teaching and evangelism. Well, the primary role of the pastor, according to Ephesians 3.11, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So I, I would understand my role here at Oak Ridge to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, which is to make disciples. Or maybe I, maybe I could say it this way. My primary focus at Oak Ridge would be saints to make disciples. As I mentioned, I'll unpack uh, in the second section um, practically what I understand equipping uh, in the second section of this sermon. But before we go any further, I think it would be best for me to define or answer the question, what is a disciple? And I believe that Matthew 28 answers that question for us. And according to these verses, a disciple of Jesus is someone who has put their faith in Jesus, been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and lives a life of obedience to Christ. Now, I know these are really large brushstrokes, and there's much more that could be fleshed out from this definition. But for the sake of time, I believe this definition provides a framework for a disciple as it's outlined by Jesus in, this, in these verses. So if a disciple of Jesus is someone who has put their faith in Jesus as the only Savior, has identified themselves with the triune God of the Scriptures through baptism, and is living a life of obedience, what should a disciple of Jesus be doing? Matthew 28 says the primary goal of a disciple is to make disciples. Maybe I can say it another way. A disciple of Jesus makes disciples of Jesus. And have, have you thought about your, your faith this way? That the primary call of, on you for your life in Christ is to make disciples. Do you feel equipped right now to fulfill Christ's commission to you? For some here, this might be maybe a new framework for you, for you to be thinking through your faith. For others, uh, you have maybe rightly felt this call, but you feel under-equipped. This has been your heartbeat, your passion as a Christian for years, and it has shown in the people that you have come, that have come to faith and have grown in their faith because of the time that you have invested in them. Wherever you might be on this spectrum, it would be my goal to help teach and equip each and every disciple of Christ for the work of the ministry, which is to make disciples. Now come back with me here to, to Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. I want to draw your attention to four all statements in these verses. And I'm going to argue that these four statements ought to give each and every disciple of Christ, confidence, 
hope and endurance in this life as we seek to make disciples. These four all statements help us see the essentials of discipleship, the inclusiveness of discipleship, the power provided to us in discipleship, and Christ's commitment to us in this pursuit of discipleship. Let me say that one more time. These four all statements help us see the essential the essentials of discipleship, the inclusiveness of discipleship, the power provided to us in discipleship, and Christ's commitment to us in this pursuit. So look at verse 18, where we see our first all statement, all authority. Jesus said to his disciples that all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. What we should understand this to mean is that every other authority besides Christ is either derivative or subordinate. The Father has given all authority to Jesus. And we should understand the importance of this reality in two ways. The first, Jesus' Jesus's authority is supreme. There is no other authority that we should submit to. And second, Jesus' authority is supreme over every authority that would seek to dethrone or thwart his authority. What confidence, oh, what confidence we can have as Christians, as disciples of Christ, that nothing will thwart the will of God in Christ as we pursue making disciples. We cannot miss the authority of Christ in our pursuit of making disciples. We are calling people to the supreme authority of Christ over their lives. And we know in this process of calling them to submit to that authority. And we, that no other authority can infringe on those who are to come to Christ. We should have unwavering confidence in our commission to make disciples because of Christ's authority. This brings us to the second all statement. Look at verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This verse further clarifies that Jesus' authority is not just over the Jews or the Romans who were in control of this portion of the world at the time of Jesus. Jesus' authority is over all nations because he is commanding his disciples to make disciples <laughs> of all nations. Jesus' authority extends globally. We also need to see that discipleship is not to be confined to a people group. The gospel of Jesus is not exclusive. It is for all people. Our call to make disciples does not exclude anyone. There is no partiality in Christ. Therefore, there should be no partiality in our pursuit of disciples from every people group on the planet. This is what should be at the heart of every ministry, a passion to reach the nations with the good news of God's reign and the salvation that is offered in Jesus Christ. The third all statement we find in this passage is in verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The content of discipleship should include everything that Jesus has taught. 
Luke 24, 53 says, Therefore, or these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written, written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Making disciples of Christ is not just inclusive of all people. It is inclusive of all of Jesus' teachings and his commands. The disciple of Christ is being trained up in all of Jesus' commands, and then they train others in all that Jesus commands. And I would argue we, we should probably think about God's commands in, in two categories, two large categories. Love, loving God, and loving neighbor. In Matthew chapter 22, uh, just a few chapters before this great commission, uh, verses 36 through 40, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? So if we're supposed to obey all that he has commanded us, Jesus answers the question, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus responded, love your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And he couldn't stop there. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depends all the law and prophets. Practically, if you were to come to me with a ministry idea or a way to improve a ministry at Oak Ridge, I would probably have three questions for you to start. Is the primary goal of this ministry to make disciples? Then, will the ministry provoke a greater love of God? And how will the goal of discipleship and love for God flow out into love for neighbor? These questions, I believe, would be the, the, the sieve or the filter for which we think about ministry at Oak Ridge. And this brings us to the last all statement in verse 20. And behold, I am with you all ways to the end of the age. We're just saying Christ will hold you fast. This, this is this verse. What hope we can have in our pursuit of discipleship and making disciples we are not left to ourselves in this commission to make disciples. Jesus was, is with us in this commission. We have been given authority from Jesus to make disciples, and this authority will not run out. Jesus' power and authority is with us in our pursuit of making disciples. We can trust Jesus' supreme authority, and we can know that this authority is lasting and present with us throughout our lives. We can enter into our call to make disciples with confidence, hope, and endurance because Jesus will be with us to the end of the age. I believe that each of these all statements could be sermons in themselves, unpacking even further the authority of Christ the inclusion of the nations in God's redemptive plan from, from Genesis to Revelation, the commands that we're called to observe, and the lasting presence of Christ in our pursuit of discipleship. I, all of these could be sermons. For now, though, we'll have to move on to, to the second section of the sermon. So we spent about 10 or 15 minutes here on the, the call to make disciples, and I'd like to spend the rest of our time showing you from the book of Ephesians the pursuit or the purpose of discipleship, where discipleship happens, 
and practically what, disciple, what disciples of Christ look like. Turn with me to Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 14. I didn't get all these passages um, to Seth in time, so you'll be flipping a little bit here. <laughs> so Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 14, and there's two things I want to point out from them before I read them, before I read these verses. The first is the Trinity's involvement in salvation. That's the first thing I want you to notice and, and listen for in this passage. The Trinity's involvement in salvation. Second, listen for the greatest purpose in salvation and thus making disciples is to the praise of God's glorious grace. Listen for these. Listen for the triune structure and the refrain of God's glorious grace. Let me read these verses here. Verse 3, chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us from ado uh, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in blood. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for all the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Okay, that's right. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possessions of it to the praise of his glory. Thank you. I hope you could hear how the Father, Son, and Spirit were engaged in this process of redemption in our hearts and in our souls. And I hope you heard the refrain, what is this all for? For the praise of his glorious grace. We heard in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, the Trinitarian unity that we are baptized into upon our coming to faith in Christ. Here in Ephesians, Paul is unpacking how the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are united and uniquely contribute to our salvation. We seek to make disciples of all nations. We must understand God's sovereignty over the process. Notice in verses 4 and 5, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, and He predestined us for adoption to Himself. We must pursue discipleship as we're resting in God's sovereignty through the whole process. Do we think that our call to discipleship is working out what God has predestined? Do we think about our call to discipleship 
as working out what God has predestined. The first way that should impact our posture in discipleship is humility. This is God's work, and we are his means for drawing people to Christ. Salvation and discipleship is God's work that we are called to join in him with. This should provoke our hearts to a freedom from fear and anxiety or discouragement when the gospel is rejected. I'm not saying we should not pray and grieve for those that are rejecting the gospel, but it does mean we can rest in God's ability to turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. It does mean that in all our weaknesses, as we pursue holiness and make disciples, that God's glory is on further display. There's not a perfect formula to discipleship, but there is a perfect plan that is being orchestrated between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that we are entering into when we are obedient in sharing the good news of Jesus and making disciples of Christ. Discipleship making is bringing to pass what has been established in the Godhead before the foundations of the world and putting on display God's glorious grace in Christ. So as we seek to make disciples, we must understand God is the primary mover in the hearts of his disciples and that the primary purpose of discipleship is to display his glorious grace. The second question I'm hoping to answer in this section is, where should discipleship happen? We've agreed there's a call to it. We're understanding our role in it. So where should it happen? If the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the primary movers and orchestrators in salvation and making disciples, and the purpose of making disciples is to display God's glory, I believe the next question is, where is the most effective place that God has ordained discipleship to happen? Maybe I could say it this way. Where is God's glory most clearly seen on earth in the pursuit of making disciples? Turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The answer to the question, where is the most effective place to make disciples? is the church. According to this verse, the place on earth that we can most clearly see God's wisdom and glory is in the church. So as we gather each Sunday for corporate worship and do the work of the ministry throughout the week, we are displaying God's wisdom to the cosmic authorities. We already know from Matthew 28 and Ephesians 1 that all authority and all things have been given to Christ. So these authorities and rulers that Jesus is supreme over are watching the church and they are seeing God's wisdom. Some of us might be struggling to see God's wisdom in the church these days as COVID has created some division and critical race theory is determined to reorient the responsibility of sin and distort the image of God. 
But we know from Ephesians 1 and Matthew 28 that his plan to make disciples for the praise of his glorious grace will not be thwarted. And we know from Ephesians 3 that God is working this plan of redemption through the church. The church is the primary place that discipleship should happen because it is the church that God is using to display his wisdom to the cosmic authorities that have been subjected to Christ. So at the beginning of the sermon, I told you that if you came to me with a plan for ministry as the discipleship pastor, I'd ask you a few questions. Is the primary goal of the ministry to make disciples? Will the ministry provoke a greater love for God? And how will the goal of discipleship and the love for God flow out into love for I would then ask, what will the church's role be in that ministry? If the church is the place that God's manifold wisdom is on display, then I would argue the church ought to be the primary place that discipleship happens. So the question would be, how will the church facilitate that ministry? If God has ordained and intended the church to be the place for his wisdom to be on display, then the church should be the place that discipleship is happening. And let me just say, when I'm using the word church, I don't mean the physical church building. I mean where covenanting people are gathering together in the name of Jesus under a plurality of elders who are regular, regularly partaking of the Lord's Supper and practicing baptizing new believers into a covenant community. That's what I mean by church. So let me make some qualifying statements. I'm not saying discipleship cannot happen outside of the local church. What I am saying is that the best place for it to happen is in the context of the local church and through the members of that local church. Let me give an example. I, I went to a Christian college. I would not suggest that I did not grow in my faith or discipleship or discipleship making at a Christian college. What I am saying, though, is that it should be the desire of every Christian institution, every Christian institution to work in close relationships with local churches. Because according to Ephesians 3, it is the church that God's wisdom in salvation is most clearly seen. Discipleship is to be connected to the local church. It should not, it, it should not be healthy to have ministries that are not accountable to the direct vision, oversight, and giftings of each local church. Again, another sermon could be given to unpack even further the role of the church in discipleship and God's redemptive plan orchestrated through the local church. But before we leave Ephesians 3, let me point out one more relationship between Ephesians chapter 3 and the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Remember one of the all statements in Matthew 28 was for all nations. Look at verses 6 through 9 of Ephesians 3 with me. Ephesians 3, 6 through 9. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone 
what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Jews and Gentiles are united through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not exclusive to a people group as it has brought the unsearchable riches of Christ to everyone. If the call is to make disciples of all nations, and it is the gospel that unites all peoples to Christ, then the church should reflect this diversity. The local church's ability to actually display the wisdom of God is dependent on the gospel. The local church will not be effective at making disciples insofar as it preaches and teaches the true gospel. Let me say that again. The local church will be, eff will be effective insofar as it preaches, teaches, preaches and teaches the true gospel. The church will not be effective at making disciples as it, insofar as it remains loyal to the gospel. The gospel and the local church must be at the center of discipleship and thus at the center of every ministry. So the logic for assessing ministry should go something like this. Is the purpose of this ministry to display God's manifold wisdom, uh, God's manifold wisdom in the gospel through the local church as it seeks to make disciples of all nations for the praise of his glorious grace? Let me say that again. As we, as we think about assessing ministry at Oak Ridge, is the purpose of the ministry to display God's manifold wisdom in the gospel through the local church as it all nations for the praise of his glorious grace. And I believe with this framework, we can assess if a current ministry is fulfilling the call to discipleship or how a future ministry could help us pursue our call to discipleship at Oak Ridge and a constant way for us to evaluate. If called to be the pastor of discipleship at Oak Ridge, I would see it as, as one of my primary roles to help shepherd each ministry in this framework, to help launch any new ministries with this framework, and to constantly assess each ministry through this framework. This would be done alongside of the other elders, deacons, and members of this church. With our remaining time, I'd like to take a look at discipleship on a day-to-day -day level. Answering the question, what does discipleship look like in our daily lives? Maybe another way for us to think about this would be, what should a discipleship of Jesus Christ look like? There might be even another way. According to the scripture, what does a disciple look like who has been baptized, is being taught the scriptures, and is obedient to God's commands? And so we'll end our time this morning unpacking just a few characteristics of a disciple of Jesus from Ephesians chapter 5 and 6. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. This first one is general. The others get a little bit more specific to types of disciples. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. A disciple of Jesus is to walk in sacrificial love. And then in verse 15, 
A disciple of Christ is to walk in wisdom, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. So disciples of Christ, thus far, according to Ephesians 5, are lovingly wise, sacrificial people who make the best use of their time. If your brothers and sisters in Christ were to take an inventory of your life and time, would they see love, wisdom, and efficiency? These might sound vague, so let me make just a few more comments as it relates to discipleship. If a follower or disciple of Jesus is to truly be loving, they must have a firm grasp of the love of God that is in Christ as experienced in the gospel. So at Oak Ridge, that is what is in place to help people grow in their understanding of the gospel. And likewise, what is in place at Oak Ridge that would help the members grow in wisdom? In other words, what ministries are in place to help Christians grow in their ability to apply God's word to every facet of their lives so that they are making wise and efficient decisions? Look now to verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 5. Paul starts to apply the gospel to wives. He writes, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So what ministries at Oak Ridge are there to help women grow up into their role as wives, if they're wives, to model the church's response to Christ? One more thing could be said about this. Young women, older women, singles, disciples of Christ, because we have the scriptures, we are able to help each other grow as disciples even if we don't find ourselves to be a wife. Again, these are specific things in the book of Ephesians that embodies disciples of Christ. And this is going to be a complete list of discipleship characteristics, but simply examples of how I see the framework of discipleship and what types of ministries facilitate making disciples of Christ. How about husbands in verse 25? How can Oak Ridge help husbands love their wives like Christ loved the church? What tools, resources, teachings do husbands need to help fulfill their call to be Christ to their wives? Look at verse, uh, look at chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents. How can Oak Ridge help the children in this congregation that are still under their parents' instruction understand their call to obey their parents? And how can we help fathers and parents raise their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? A disciple of Christ honors and obeys their parents. A disciple of Christ is a father who brings up their children in the instruction of the Lord. A disciple of Christ understands their role as a parent as a godly authority in the home. Again, how can Oak Ridge, as a body of believers in each of these contexts and roles, bring glory to God through the application of the gospel in the local church as we seek to do the work of the ministry? A disciple of Christ is also an, an obedient employee, responding to their bosses as they would Christ, according to Ephesians 5. I'm sorry, according to Ephesians 6, 5 and 6. Not as people pleasers or, or by way of eye service, but from the heart. Or how would a disciple of Christ manage the people under their supervision? 
In Ephesians 6, 9, a disciple of Christ manages people with the understanding that God is the true master. A disciple of Christ who manages people also does not show partiality. Is this not what we've already seen in Matthew 28? A disciple is impartial just as God is impartial. So as we close, let me make just a few comments about the specific characteristics that we have highlighted from Ephesians. I'm not saying that we need unique ministries for each characteristic that we define, disciples of Christ in the scriptures. This list would get very long, very quick. What I'm hoping to communicate is that the scriptures provide us with what disciples of Christ should look like. Therefore, I would see it as one of my primary responsibilities to help shepherd people through the various ministries into mature, mature disciples of Christ who make more disciples. And one of the primary ways that I believe we can accomplish making disciples of Christ is an unwavering commitment to the preaching and teaching of the entire counsel of God's will. The reason this should be the primary way we disciple at Oak Ridge is twofold. It is the standard of truth, but it is also the very means through which disciples are made. If it is not just the word of God, it is our standard, we also understand it is the preaching and teaching of God's word that God uses as a means to change hearts and sanctify those who are being saved. The preaching and teaching of God's word must be at the center of all of our ministries and we must pursue discipleship making through the local church. The type of disciples that Oak Ridge should want to produce are fully equipped spiritual soldiers of Christ. Ephesians 6.12 tells us we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. But we must remember what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Disciples of Christ can stand firm in the Lord in the evil day because we have put on the full armor of God. Disciples of Christ ready themselves with truth, righteousness, faith, salvation, the gospel, God's word, and prayer. That's the armor we're called to put on in Ephesians 6. These are the attributes of Christ's disciples, ready for the fight of faith as we stand against the devil's schemes and the spiritual forces of evil that wage war on our souls in this world. Disciples of Christ are spiritual warriors, and I would see it as my role as the discipleship pastor to make, to make battle-ready disciples that slay the spiritual forces of evil with Scripture and bring the gospel to the nations. We have been given this authority as disciples, and we have been promised that Jesus will be with us in this pursuit. Let me pray. Father, you have called us to discipleship, but this call started in an agreement between the Father and Spirit that has been worked out through your word. 
You have called us into that ministry of drawing people to yourself. You've called us to make disciples. May we keep your word at the center. May we feel the hope and confidence that is offered as you sit on the throne supreme. May we have a passion to reach the nations. May we show no partiality in who we share the gospel myth with. May, may we do it frequently. May we better learn how to apply your word into each of our hearts and lives so that we can continue to model and display your wisdom to the world through the church. Thank you for your word this morning as it helps guide and instruct us in how we're supposed to do ministry, what discipleship is supposed to look like, and you bring this to pass through your spirit. So continue to do this with me and the rest of us here at Oak Ridge. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for that message. And uh, may the Lord further the work of discipleship as it takes place here in this local church and cause his wisdom and his glory to be made known more fully through us. Yeah, amen. If you have any questions or any thoughts that you'd like to share with Grant or ask Grant, please come up to him. Feel free to ask him, interact with him. Uh, you can get in touch with one of the elders, and we can put you in touch with him if you would like as well. So please, please know that that door is open, and this is the time for you to be pursuing that course. Please make sure that you're reaching out to Grant. Come up here in just a minute. Now let me give you the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up the light of his countenance on you and give you his peace purchased for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. May you go in that peace.